You're now listening to the Laravel Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Laravel Podcast Season 6. I'm Matt Stauffer, one of your co-hosts. And Taylor, you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Taylor Otwell, the man, the mystery, the myth, the legend, and so much more. Taylor, I saw a picture of you recently meeting Rasmus, the founder of PHP. Was that your first time meeting or have y'all hung up before? No, it was our first time meeting, our first time speaking in wow. any format, That's in wild. person or online. Really the first time you know, there's been any contact between us at all. Wow. And I mean, he um, doesn't run PHP anymore, right? So it's not as if like he's in the day-to-day... I don't really know, honestly, what I don't think, you know, it's his day to day thing yeah. is running PHP. Yeah. So we were at a Golden State Warriors game, like a, a networking event for yeah. a lot of tech. Pe- a lot of tech people were there, actually, like uh, yeah. Rasmus was there. The Webflow guys were there. Flutter devs were there. Um, nice. Some Vercel, Vercel people were there and I was nice. there. And uh, so anyway, I, I go up to Rasmus and I'm like, you're the only person in this room. I'm nervous to say hi to who. <laughs> And I was That's like, awesome. I said, you're a living legend. And he laughed and he was like, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, look, you're still paying honestly, my bills, man. Honestly, after that, we didn't talk about anything tech related. We only talked about normal, normal people life stuff. stuff. We, didn't, yeah, we didn't talk about PHP at all. That's awesome. Well, I know you don't know this history, but one day I'll probably have to ask somebody else. But for those who you don't know, or those of y'all who don't know, Rasmus created PHP as personal homepage language. But very soon afterwards, a group of folks who are not Rasmus took over and there was this Zend, not Zend the framework, but like Zend the engine. And I know Z was related and there's all these other things. And now I don't know if any of them are still super involved. I think it's now more like the open source contributor people who are doing it. So it's definitely does not have a primary person up top like Laravel does or anything like that. But I think Ruby probably still the guy who created Ruby probably is still actively involved in Ruby. But yeah, we don't have that I know. HP. He for sure is still active because I just okay. saw a YouTube talk from him a few months ago. Got it. I kind of feel like it's maybe. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. There's not someone at the top of PHP sort of calling the shots. You know, with Laravel, I think it's been actually a pretty big benefit to have sort of a BDFL at the top just to stop things from getting into too much bike shedding or analysis paralysis or and eventually just move things along. I think that that's something we're missing at PHP a lot. And I think that some of the lack of cohesion between the various groups of people who use PHP and their opinions about how PHP should be used is because of bike shedding and decision by committee and all that kind of stuff. It's just like sometimes you just need, even if it's a person who's really good at building bridges, you need a person to just say, nah, this is what we're doing. Even if it's the not what they necessarily wanted, but they're able to just, you know what I mean? Just make it happen. Yeah. I mean, a benevolent dictatorship is sort of the most efficient and best form of government. Just in the real world, we can't guarantee the successors the are yeah. as benevolent. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know we've got a couple of announcements I wanted to jump into. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in the world of Laravel. So I figure we can jump to those first. And so I'm just going to go one after the other. First one is this new thing. FrankenPHP was released as a another driver, I guess you'd call them, or a base for Octane. Mm-hmm. For someone who doesn't know anything about FrankenPHP or what it means to be able to use it for Octane, can you kind of give us like a real quick, like, what does this mean for the, the world of people who don't live in Octane? Or really, is this only meaningful for people who are like hyper-optimized? in the octane world already and now it gives those kind of people who are really nerdy about that topic another option i think it's pretty cool for everyone actually and i'll try to explain a little bit about what it is i'm not 
I wouldn't say I'm a super expert in Franken PHP, and the author yeah. of Franken PHP is actually going to give a talk at Laracon EU. Oh, fantastic. But let's kind of start with how PHP works probably for most people today, which is they run Nginx and they run this thing called PHP FPM. Yep. Fast Process Manager, I think is what it stands for. Yep. And Nginx basically hands off request to FPM, which then hands off, I guess, requests to PHP workers. So you've got like Nginx workers, you've got FPM workers. And it's a little bit more complicated than most other web languages in terms of how you run them, where in a lot of other web environments, you just start a single web server and it handles everything. You don't have two entities, like you don't have yeah. Nginx and uh, FPM. So what Frank and PHP does is basically like imagine the built-in PHP web server, you know, like PHP artisan serve. Imagine yeah. it was like production grade and yeah. super fast. And, you know, like I said, production ready, you could deploy it out onto actual web servers and just start one command and everything's running and you have one single configuration file, not you're not configuring Nginx and FPM with different settings. Like you have one single configuration for your entire web server. That's essentially, I think, the the goal that Frank and PHP is trying to solve. So that's one half of it. The other half of it is more related to Octane, where what if we could keep your PHP app, your Laravel app, in memory once we boot it once, once we go through all the service providers, we execute all the framework bootstrapping, and just keep that in memory and just feed it HTTP requests as they come in without having to reboot the framework on every single request. So Frank and PHP, that's one of its features as well. It's sort of the other half of the story. And that's why we built a driver for it in Octane, because that's what Octane is sort of built to help you with. So we have a Swool driver, a Roadrunner driver, and now a Frank and PHP driver. And they all sort of accomplish the same goal of keeping your app in memory and feeding it requests. And what Octane does is add some Laravel specific code that's necessary in terms of resetting global state, making sure your configuration mm -hmm. is reset after each request, making sure your sessions don't leak over across each request, because it's a very different way of running PHP apps than, you know, historically we've run them. So Octane is sort of the Laravel layer, um, nicety layer to make sure everything works as expected when using Got these it. tools. And it's so much faster than using like the traditional nginx and fpm setup because your apps in memory i mean it's order it's like multiple times faster in production so it's a huge huge speed boost and you know i i can imagine a world where in the next few years i would actually like us to try to transition tools like forge and stuff to just using stuff like this by default because oh, nice. it is such okay. a better way of running huh. applications it's such a faster way it's a simpler way um, of running things so that's the gist of it. And I'm sure there will be a lot more detail on it at Laracon EU when uh, Kevin, the author of Frank and PHP, gives a talk on this topic. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. And for those who are interested, you can go to frankandphp.dev where there's a pretty decent kind of overview of a lot of the ways it's working out. But I also think that Chris Fadao did an intro video to Frank and PHP, so we'll make sure we link that in the show notes as well. For those who are interested in a tiny little bit more nerdiness, the website kind of explains that it's actually built in Caddy, which is uh, anybody who's done any nerding around servers has usually run into 
I don't know what it's called, traffic or traffic or T-R-A-E-F-I-K. You usually run into the traffic and then caddy. Those are kind of like two of the big like servers you can do really custom stuff with that people deal with often. Like Taylor mentioned, PHP FPM, which always has felt to me like this kind of magical, this is just what PHP running looks like thing. Until I learned that, like you said, it's just an Nginx plugin. And it's a plugin that makes Nginx and PHP play together nicely, which shows that it's not innative. It shows that it's not internal and integral. So it's cool that hearing that like Frank and PHP is really taking you know, taking the ability to actually build it in at the core of its own server. And that's kind of, but relying on caddy so it doesn't have to create a server from scratch. Right. The guy, Kevin, he made one other really interesting tool. And I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was something about web sockets or something like that. Do you remember yeah. what that Merc- was? Mercury. Yeah, or- yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm very curious to hear more involved. from this guy. Okay. Yeah, he's also been involved in like API platform for Symphony. Yeah. Mercury, which is kind of a, I don't know if it even uses web sockets, but it achieves similar goals as like real-time right. communication. Yeah, I feel like so, yeah, he uses some new technology to do it instead of web sockets. Yeah, he's worked on quite a few interesting projects, you know, and it's been around PHP a long time. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited we're having him speak. I'm, I wish I was going to be there, but I'll be on my honeymoon. But I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> or getting married or something like that. But I'm looking forward to watching the video afterwards and learning from it. So, all right. So speaking of learning together, we also uh, yesterday you announced, well, not yesterday, yesterday as of this recording, you announced the the relaunch of the Worldwide Meetup. And in my memory, the Worldwide Laravel Meetup was something that Frake was doing originally. And then it's been mm-hmm. on pause for a while. And so this is kind of like season two of it. Am I am I right in thinking about it that way? Yeah. Um a Laracon speaker in the past and Laravel contributor over many years, uh, Colin DiCarlo, reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'd really like to get the Lar- uh, the Laravel Worldwide Meetup going again. You know, is this something we could yeah. do? And I'll take care of, like, you know, finding the speakers and make sure you don't really have to do anything. So yeah, I was like, okay, let me see what I can do. And we eventually worked it out, had a new website designed. And yeah, I'm pretty pumped to have that back because there's so many people around the world that don't really have access to, like, a local meetup mm-hmm. you know and it's just not reason like like me for example yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here in arkansas um so it's just a cool thing we can do for the community and caleb uh creator of live wire will be the first speaker and yeah it's, it's cool to have that back and a kind of a monthly meetup for people that don't have anything in you know the meat space uh to go to <laughs> i love it and that is just meetup.laravel.com i'm trying to see the yeah. one with uh january 30th okay so this this will be out before that that comes so mm-hmm. very cool all right, our next one. So you put out, you were Laravel put out a tweet recently about the cashier quick start docs, and you kind of were telling us a little bit of story there. But rather than trying to retell your own tweet to you, can you just tell us a little bit of the story of what happened there? Yeah. So Laravel has two kind of billing related things. You might say we have cashier, which is sort of the lower level library for interacting with Stripe and Paddle, it lets you create subscriptions, you know, deal with customers, blah blah blah. Like I said, it's pretty low level. So we built a tool called Spark, which is basically a UI um, SaaS billing starter kit built on top of Cashier that Mm -hmm. gives you all the UI stuff like plan selection, changing plans, canceling, downloading invoices, and all of that. Yeah. So here's kind of what has happened over the last, I would say, let's let's say four years is these billing platforms like Spark or uh, Stripe and Paddle 
have started pushing towards more hosted, no-code checkout solutions. So, mm-hmm. for example, Stripe has something called Stripe Checkout, where you can just redirect your users to Stripe Checkout, and they host all of the plan selection once you define it in the Stripe dashboard. And then you can also redirect customers once they are subscribed to their Stripe customer billing portal, which lets them change plans, which lets them download invoices and all yeah. of that. So that all sounds exactly like what Laravel Spark is. Yeah. And so what's interesting is that over the last few years, I feel like Spark has become less valuable because these billing platforms have introduced their own no-code solutions. However, interestingly, Cashier has become more valuable because the webhooks you have to handle, the database structure you have to handle is becoming only more complex. So even though like Stripe hosts all these checkout pages you still need to like keep the data somewhat in sync in your own database so that you know if someone's subscribed without making an api call to stripe every time they Hmm. call your application so that led me to kind of be like okay what is what do we want to do with spark um going forward i think there's part of me that would like to eventually just open source it at some point and have it not be a commercial product anymore it's just something open source Mm -hmm. but it also raised this idea in my mind if i was starting a new laravel project today what would I actually recommend as far as a billing flow? And a big yeah. part of me was like, oh, you should just use Stripe Checkout and Stripe Customer Billing Portal. That's mm-hmm. really all you need. And when I look at our docs for cashier, I was like, this is overwhelmingly mm-hmm. complicated, like dealing with customers, dealing with subscriptions. Like, let's just write a quick start that's two sections. I want to sell subscriptions or I want to sell products like T-shirts yeah. or one-time purchases. And so I gave that project to Dries and he kind of worked up uh, the draft of it. And then I I came in and kind of massaged that a little. And we put it out there on the docs as just like, if you're starting a new Laravel project today and you're using Stripe, for example, this is the quick start for how to get started selling subscriptions using Stripe checkout and Stripe customer billing portal. And I think it's just like a much cleaner thing, a way to get started. I wanted to document it for a long time. So I'm I'm glad it's out there. And I think we'll probably do a similar thing for Paddle as well. So yeah, that's the gist of it, you know. Yeah, I love that. Does that, that. make sense? Um, or is that, or is yeah, that too the, deep in the weeds? <laughs> no, that was that was the perfect level, and I I love it personally because I would often be having conversations with people, and then I'd be like, "Well, wait a minute, that's Spark Classic. What about modern Spark?" And then and then the mm-hmm. question was always more complicated because of these, you know, the low code tools or whatever. So I are no code, and I love the idea of us being able to rely as much as possible on the tools that they're publishing for us to use, while knowing that we have everything synchronize because that's something i've seen happen mm-hmm. in some of my older code bases when i would try to move to stripe checkout is i wouldn't always be fully in sync with what was going on there and i'd be like oh yeah things they can change more things there than i was expecting and keeping mm-hmm. it in sync with my local is difficult so i just knowing that i can trust that like they've built that ui so i don't have to build it in spark or whatever else and you have done the work to make sure that i've got all the data in sync that's that's the most confident i can feel about the thing so i love that there's a, a real quick easy way to, to kind of know here's the recommended option for subscriptions for purchases call it a day yeah and when we first released you know cashier and spark which was probably 2015 billing and checkout was way way simpler than it is today with new yeah. international regulations like 3d secure 3d secure 2 where when someone's entering their credit card, sometimes you have to pop up like this confirmation yeah. box that's 3D secure. And when you're using Stripe checkout, you know, they're always in theory up to date on that, doing the right thing. But in Spark, it was becoming such a maintenance nightmare to keep up mm-hmm. with these international regulations in terms of how billing works that 
it's not super sustainable for us. Yeah. And it doesn't even make sense, you know, if, if Stripe checkout can do it for us. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that because I've seen those things before, but thankfully have not been in the place to have to deal with them lately. But again, I'm glad that I won't yeah. have to. So yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, we got a couple more topics to cover today. So let's move on to the next one, which is there have been a couple tweets lately between mainly Ian Landsman and Eric Barnes, although I swear somebody else had one where they were talking about when you're starting a new application, what do you put in your uh, service provider's boot method? And I was thinking, because you not you know, last time we talked about what package do you put in every single time, and you said that you used uh, you used the once package that uh, Spotsy, Spotsy wrapped up around your you know code, your original code um, on everything. But I don't know if I put something in the the service provider for every app ever, and I think most of what Ian and Eric's uh, Eric's I was was about the the should be strict thing for your models, mm. and so we can talk about I that hate for a that second. Feature. So, so, uh, <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to be honest that's, about it. That's the Tell worst feature it. in Laravel. <laughs> um, Tell me, it's basically like. <sighs> It, in theory, it wouldn't be a bad feature, but I'll explain why it's a bad feature or why it ends up being kind of a pain. Yeah. So it's basically this feature in Eloquent where you can say should be strict or something. I de-document it. It's not even in the docs anymore. But And basically, <laughs> if you try to access an attribute that wasn't pulled from the database, like say mm-hmm. you selected, you select name and email instead of select asterisks, and you try to access like birthday on the mm-hmm. user model. If you have strict mode on, it will just throw an exception. Yep. You know, hey, you're trying to access something that doesn't exist. Whereas normal Eloquent over the past 12 years, it would just be null if you tried to access something that wasn't selected. So in theory, this wouldn't really be a problem, right? You would you would think it would be a good thing. Like you have your app, you select the right things. If you see an exception, you, you didn't select the right data. You're always selecting only the data you need. It's more performant, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the reason it becomes an issue is you start bringing in packages that... Now they have to sort of be aware of like, is strict mode on, is strict mode off? Mm. And like just the other day in Passport, it was trying to access the grant types on the user model. They weren't selected through an exception. Now we have to fix this in Passport. Hmm. It's honestly turned into such a headache from the package perspective that it makes me really soured on the whole feature. Yeah. Um, So that's why I don't like it. I also, you know... I don't like it just from the maintenance burden it's sort of put on us from a package perspective of having to always be aware, like what if they have strict mode on? What if they have lazy loading disabled? And like, yeah. it's hard to build packages with all these caveats of how eloquent can behave very differently based mm. on how the users configured it. I was going to ask that about lazy loading next. So it makes sense that that's also the same pain. We have had less pain with lazy loading, okay. honestly, and it's still in the documentation. You can still, disable lazy loading we document that there's one other thing we document because this this passport thing just happened the other day Mm -hmm. let me look at this strict mode well while you look that up for the listeners the uh the prevent lazy loading just says if you try to access a relationship on uh one of your eloquent um instances and you have not already loaded that it's not gonna be like oh great i'll go load it for you right now which is what lazy loading be it'll throw an exception to make sure you've always eager loaded everything which is beneficial from a performance perspective Mm-hmm. So the other thing we document is you can disable eloquence behavior of silently discarding non-mass fillable attributes when you try to pass them to like the create method. So imagine mm-hmm. you have a user model and your fillable array for your fillable attributes is name and email. You do user colon colon create. You pass name, email, and birthday, which was not fillable. Yeah. Typically, eloquent would just silently discard birthday mm-hmm. and insert the data it can. 
Yeah. You can make it so that if you pass something that's not fillable, it actually throws a full on exception. I yeah. haven't had any problems with this behavior. Actually, this is, I'm fine with this. I think I've, I've never seen this cause any issues. So it's probably okay. a decent feature, but the whole accessing things that haven't been selected, throwing an exception has caused us quite a bit of headache. Yeah. That makes which sense. made me regret adding it. <laughs> yeah. Which but is that may just be, that anyway. may just be from my maintainer perspective. You know, it, maybe it's a good thing at the end user perspective. Yeah, I mean, part of the issue is, you know, if it's making life difficult for the maintainers, then it's not great for the user. You know, <laughs> I'm definitely of the opinion that a lot of these tools are helpful because they help us discover ways we're accidentally making mistakes. Like the first time I turned on prevent lazy loading, it it found a way where I didn't even realize I was lazy loading because it was such a complex web of relationships in this thing. I was doing one of those mm. things where you have like a relationship that's it's you're only selecting the most recent one of a many to many relationship. And because of the complexity of defining those, I was accidentally not eager loading. it. so I learned some things from them. I like them, but none of those are ever worth the cost to, Oh my gosh, everything's way more complex in our code. All the packages are gonna be more difficult Our maintainers, you know, like to me, I'm like, there's, there's other ways to solve this problem, right? We can understand mm-hmm. when lazy loading is, ha- loading is happening from a, a, from a debugging and a debug bar perspective. And, you know, we can build tools for it without actually disabling it for the whole thing, you know? So, right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so yeah, I, so that was, so Eric's had, Eric talked about that. Ian's had that, and then he had a lot of very specific things to packages that he was using. You know, he mm-hmm. says he puts them in every, and maybe uses those packages, but his were things like the um, the guard package that he uses, and some live wire and filament specific middlewares and stuff like that. So uh, again, I can't find myself saying that I do this. And and one person pointed out in one of those threads that Lambo, which is a tool I built a long time ago that like allows you to do certain things after you run Laravel new every time. And one of the mm-hmm. things you can do is have it run a bash script. And so some people have said every single time I run Lambo to create a new project, it inserts these particular pack. It requires these particular packages and it also inserts these particular lines in the, um, the app service provider. And again, like I, every time I've asked people, hey, what packages do you use in every project? What things do you insert? I've almost never been able to come up to something on my own where I'm like every app I've ever built should have X, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel like do you have dessert anything you always put in a service provider? So I actually pulled up our Forge service provider, and there's okay. not much interesting here, I would say. We have a few container bindings where we make something like a singleton that we want mm-hmm. to be a singleton. Yeah. Um, we register a couple authorization gates, yep. like closure-based authorization gates. Um, the, kind of the most interesting thing in here, I would say, which may be a little bit uncommon, is we actually register... This is probably a relatively obscure feature of Laravel. You can do Q colon colon create payload using where you can add something to the oh, every Q uh-huh. jobs payload payload. Mm-hmm. We add the user ID of the person that triggered the Q job to every Q mm-hmm. job. Yeah, that makes sense. That's probably like 15 lines of code. And other than that, yeah. there's really not much else that okay. we have in a service provider. And all of the other projects I've worked on, actually, I don't feel like I put a, a lot of stuff in service providers same yeah and the things you're mentioning and also now i'm looking at ian's tweet which i'll link in the show notes i'm realizing uh, almost all of this is contextual it's stuff like morph maps in the relationship mm. you know thing so if you want to use the class name or if you want to use a, a short string instead of the class name okay that makes sense he's binding a, a new engine for a database okay he's adding some collection macros like macros make sense in yeah. here, right none of those are universal right they are contextual right. and specific he does have one where he says date colon colon use carbon immutable so I guess we were 
Yeah. We were just talking about this at Laravel yesterday. Tim McDonald was like, I think carbon immutable should be the default. Yeah. And I was kind of like, hmm, it's sort of a big breaking change to ship, to change everything to be carbon immutable. And I was like, people can just use date, use carbon immutable. So it's funny that uh-huh. Ian had, a, had, had that his... in this project. But Yeah. I would say it's the sort of thing where I'm not burned if if you guys don't add it or if you wait for the next major version or whatever to add it. I I like the idea in general because I have been burned before when I forget to clone something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for those who don't know, Carbon Immutable basically says if you've ever run into that thing where you like you do some work on a Carbon instance and then you modify it for the next time, you don't realize that you're actually modifying the original instance, and so sometimes that's not what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Carbon Immutable doesn't let you do that. You have to basically create a new instance that you're you know every single time. So it, it's another one of these strict things, right? It's like kind of forcing you into not making mistakes. It's one of those like how strict do we want to be by default versus how much do we want people to allow to choose strictness when it's fitting for them? So, yeah. And I actually like carbon immutable. And to Tim's point, he was, he was like, yeah, it it is probably a breaking change, but it's also, you know, just like Ian has carbon date, use carbon immutable. It would be very easy for people like in the upgrade, we say, Hey, you don't want to use carbon immutable, just do date, use carbon. You know, now you're right back to Laravel 10 behavior. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking that with Carbon Immutable, you needed to clone it, but it you don't have to. It's just if you make a modifier, it creates a new instance every time, mm-hmm. which is actually Especially not, just like collections. Yeah, yeah, it's not as I mean, it's still breaking, but it's not as mm-hmm. impactful because uh, people don't have to go modify their code unless they were accidentally or intentionally relying on that modification. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, so I got two more topics if we have time for them. We might not get to both of them, but I want to talk real quick about Pest versus PHP unit as a test runner. So I, I'm working on a video right now that will have been released by the time this podcast comes out. Unfortunately, it's not out yet, so Taylor, you have not seen it. But it's referencing a tweet that you put out where you basically polled and you asked people, what should the test runner be for the next version of Laravel? Should it be Pest or PHP unit? And one of the things I'm clarifying in this video that I wanted to kind of say here and get your thoughts on is the idea that there's two really impacts of changing to pest from PHP unit. And one of them is that when you run your tests, regardless of how those tests are defined, what are they running through? There's It can run through PHP unit or can it run through pest, which is a layer on top of PHP unit. So it's basically PHP unit configured a certain way when it adds, you know, code coverage and, you know, a prettier output and all these things. But it's really like they're both running PHP unit. One just comes with a bunch of pl- plugins and decorations on top of it. And then the second part of pest is an optional new syntax for writing your tests that is this functional, you know, jest style syntax. But you can use the php unit class syntax with the with php with pest as a test runner which i don't know if a lot of people know and that's why i was very curious about the fact that your tweet asked about not what should be the default test syntax but what should be the test runner i did notice that you said well if if pest is going to be the default test runner we also if you ran php artisan make test it would make a pest test unless you pass in dash dash php unit but in theory Mm -hmm. if you make a brand new laravel app and if you have chosen at that point to make PEST be the default test runner, you can still, you know, create as many PHP unit style classes as you want. So it's not forcing people out of that style. It's just meaning you have to do a little bit more work to do it that way. And now by default, you're going to get all those extra benefits that PEST provides as a runner, regardless of your syntax. Uh, do you have thoughts about that? Am I telling the story correctly? And do you have any thoughts about how you're leaning as of today? That's pretty much the story. Okay. I was just curious to tap into the community on Twitter and see what people preferred. Yeah. 
I was actually hoping the results would be even more dramatic one way or the other. Yeah. I, I can't remember what it came out to. Roughly like, like 60, 40, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I was hoping it would be like 80, 20, you know, yeah. or even like 70, 30. Um, yeah. So I can't say it really swayed me too hard one or the other. I like a lot of the features of Pest. I like a lot of the syntax of Pest. I think the data provider syntax especially is like a huge improvement over PHP unit. But then again, PHP unit just has so much familiarity and sort of legacy Mm -hmm. presence in the PHP ecosystem. It is sort of like a big ask to move kind of the default testing setup away from that. So I don't have a firm answer on like way I'm leaning. Unfortunately, I was hoping that poll would be more dramatic, as I said, more conclusive. Yeah, I mean, it is cool that like maybe there is merit to Pest being the test runner, even if PHP unit was the default test syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't actually consider that very strongly, but it may be, it may be an interesting, you know, approach. Yeah. I'm sure Nuno would be thrilled. Well, I'll share the video with you once I'm done with it, but basically, and I was, I was talking with Nuno in a little bit and I was like, you know, I'm making this video. He's like, Oh, you should really talk to people about the syntax. And I was like, no, no, no. Syntax is cool, but there's an adoption mm-hmm cost to the syntax the syntax the new syntax has all these great benefits the data providers is better it's all this really cool stuff but the thing is we don't need to convince people to change syntax if i'm correct here which i hope i am i've run it by nuno i've done some tests on my own if i'm correct here the whole laravel world should consider moving to pest as a test runner you've got an ancient laravel code base with 800 php unit style classes you should still consider pest as a test runner because i'm going to say this in the video but your console output is more beautiful especially in some laravel specific ways that you know php unit doesn't consider you get parallel testing for free you get code coverage generation for free you get speed profiling for free you get type coverage like what percentage of my code base is covered by type coverage if you care about this kind of stuff you get stress testing for free and you also can have the expectations api and you can use those that expectation api which is a different way to write assertions that i think is cleaner it's a more fluent syntax but you can do the expectations api in your php unit style classes so there are other cool things that pest offers that i understand that like people can make the decision about whether or not they want but i'm like look if we have an entirely php unit style code base and there are no shortcomings that i haven't thought of and the problem is i haven't done this on 100 code bases right so i don't want to be the guy who makes this campaign and we discover oh man it burns you in this way but at least on Mm -hmm. a brand new code base I've done it in a brand new code base multiple times. Pest is the test runner. Keep making PHP unit style code classes. And I'm having a great time with it. You know, I get all those benefits. I don't have to learn new syntax, which I personally have learned. But I'm just saying as a hypothetical person who doesn't want to learn it, it's kind of great, you know? So can't you even mix and match like PHP yes. unit test classes with yeah. past test classes in the same so project? And it will you just can have them. 800 existing ones with the old style. You can write all your new ones in the new style. And all yeah. of them are getting those benefits I just listed off, you know? So, and I didn't get that. And when I, when I interviewed him on the podcast like a year ago, I was thinking you it's all or all or nothing, right? And so I was talking mm. purely about the syntax and he almost accidentally revealed to me he's like, "Well, I mean, you get these benefits what you know, either way." And it's not as if those benefits are things you can't get yourself in a PHP unit. You know, you can add parallel testing, you can add code coverage, all these things, but I've added them before and it's work. And with Pest, they're just there. So I'm kind of like, "Well, if we just get all those things for free, why not? And again, I asked Nuno and I've done some of my own tests, but like if somebody hears this and they're like, here's a cost to using Pest as your test runner on top of an existing PHP unit, please let us know. Let me know on Twitter. But I have not seen any cost to it yet. So, yeah, that's interesting. So it's, we'll see. It's good stuff to chew on, you know, leading up to Laravel 11's release uh, yeah. sometime in this first quarter of this year. Yeah. 
Well, okay. So we, I think we do have a little bit of time for our last topic. And I've asked you this question a couple of times before. So apologies for making you rehash it, but people keep asking this question of how do you guys, and you ask them to both of us, how do you manage a team? How do you do synchronous versus asynchronous communication? How do you task people? Do you have product managers and developers? How do people know what to do? And I just figured like we could both just kind of share a little bit about how we kind of run our teams. And just because I'm the one asking the question, I'll start and then kind of see where it kind of leads for you because I know we run our teams a little bit differently. But basically, like our entire teams, we everything is in Slack. We don't use email at all. Um, everybody's relatively synchronous. We ask people that they can work um, US-based hours so that we know there's going to be a majority overlap with people's hours. Um, the vast majority of teams have a project manager and two programmers. The pr- programmers spend, a, I would say, a quarter to three quarters, depending on the team of their week pair programming. And then there's a lot of time just working independently. But we do at least one weekly check-in where the entire internal team meets up to talk and at least one weekly check-in where the entire team meets up with the client to talk. And then there's regular check-ins multiple times during the day. Usually our project managers are managing the um, the backlog so that the programmers can be programming. And when they get a task, they can ask for the clarification questions they need. They can... Um, they can do their architecture planning together and stuff like that. And they can kind of go code and they can run things by the PM and everything like that. But the PM is often like, once that has been done, the PM is working with the client to define like, what's the next set of tasks going to be working on. And, Oh, well you didn't give us this definition or whatever. So that's kind of our, our most asynchronicity comes from the fact that the PM is gathering definition often while the programmers are actually doing code. Our lead programmer will often work together with the PM also to make sure that the definition makes sense from a technical perspective, but we are, like we've listened, read like the book remote from 37 signals and we are so much more synchronous from them. Like they're very much in like the write it up in base camp. You know, somebody else reads it at some point in the next 24 hours. Somebody else approves it in the next 24 hours. You do the code in your own, you throw it over a wall, which I think, and then Taylor, I want to hear from you because I think you're a little bit more asynchronous than we are. You're a little bit more base campy. We're much more synchronous. There's a lot more communication and collaboration, but what we try to avoid is unnecessary meetings. And something that's something I've noticed that's very different between us and the culture of a lot of the companies we worked with is that meetings are meetings and emails are much more heavy in other companies than they are at Titan. If we need a meeting, it's because we saw a limit of written or you know Slack communication. And then we're like, yeah, the quicker things to do is jump on a call for five minutes, right? And then go back off versus like, a, oh, every time we need to have a conversation, it's going to be an hour long phone call with 17 people or something like that. So we're synchronous, but mm. we're trying to keep it low cost synchronous versus I think some folks are just like where everybody's on every single call all the time and it takes three hours and yada, yada, yada. So that's kind of, I mean, I, people asked about async versus, uh, they talked about meetings, communication, frequency of meetings, async versus sync. I think that's kind of it for us. And oh, for tasking, that was the other thing. So Taylor, can you talk a little bit about like what it looks like for you doing that kind of arrangement of communication and tasking, everything like that at Laravel? Yeah, I think we're much closer to your style than like a full okay. asynchronous style. So of course we use Slack. That's our honestly our main form of communication. We do use Basecamp some, but we use it in a limited way. Um, mm, we don't okay. use all of its features. Like we don't use like the chat feature in Basecamp. Really, we use Basecamp for I post a monthly write up of what we want to work on that month, and I kind of assign it to the devs. I basically am functioning as the project manager, you might say. Yeah across forge on voyeur spark all of that i write up that monthly write-up i assign it to the devs and from there most of our devs here have pretty wide creative freedom i would say in terms of like how things actually are implemented and we'll discuss the details in slack like if if someone has a question like hey should this work like Mm -hmm. this or like that 
and I'll kind of chip in and give my feedback and get their thoughts and we'll go from there. And that's kind of how we work through those decisions. So we don't write up that kind of stuff like in base camp, like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. What should we do? And it's like a big base camp thread. We don't really function that way. We also use sort of like a Kanban board on Basecamp to keep track of what everyone's actually currently working on and sort of what state it's in. Like, is it blocked? Is it pending review? Is it in progress? And then the third thing we use in Basecamp is daily check-ins where every day at 4.30, it pings every employee and just ask like, hey, what did you do today? And it just has to be like a few sentences or a paragraph about sort of what you were doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And really the main reason we do that is so that I can just kind of have a high level overview of what's actually happening at the company, because sometimes it's hard to keep track of what state everything is in, what people are working on, if they're stuck or not. And so that's sort of the role that that uh, plays. Everything else is really just in Slack. We almost never do calls. We probably do less than we should. And I should probably like caveat all this by saying, I think Laravel will change this year because we would like to beef up the team because we have some more ambitious projects we'd like to tackle in 2024. And I think we will have to move closer to like actual project managers on some of these products like Forge and Vapor instead of it just being me with a team of devs under them and things like that. Because I feel like we're basically running on a skeleton crew at this point. Sometimes we're at 10 people. We probably need to be like closer to 20 people given the size of these products. Yeah. So, you know, that's how we are now. But I bet if we talk about this again next year, we'll have a different setup and that could be interesting to revisit. (laughs) Yeah, I love that idea. You actually said two things that I realized that we do and aren't even named, so I appreciate that. We do Kanban for almost everything. Almost all of our projects are on uh, Trello if possible. If not, we try to get the most Kanban view in whatever tool the client's using. And it's almost always like backlog, you know, to do immediately this week or whatever, doing done and ready for code review, done and ready for client review, whatever the various stages are, like done and on staging but not in production or whatever. And then we also have a weekly or not a, a daily thing where everybody writes kind of like an EOD, an end of day, and it just says like, hey, here's what I did today. And um, it's a bot that actually scrapes those messages and puts them in one central place. Um, I used to read all those so that I knew what was going on for all of our projects. And I'm at, the, I'm at the level of the company right now where I can't. But Keith has access to them and the PMs, if they need to kind of ask those questions, they can. But essentially, the main thing is just sort of saying like, hey, at the end of every day, let's talk about what we did. For some projects, we're actually sharing that with the clients. For some projects, the clients would be overwhelmed by that. So we're not. But in general, it's sort of like, let's make sure we know what we did. We can also kind of like go back later. And if the clients are being like, well, what happened this week? We always have like a great record of it. We can say, oh, well, here's the thing I did every single day. And you also had access to the information or whatever. So yeah, yeah, I would definitely love to check in in a year to see kind of what the new structures of the company look like. Um, we'll have to set a reminder for that. So all right. Well, we are at time. So the last question we have open here is what is the album released most recently that you've really enjoyed? So some album, new album that comes come out in the last months to year that you've actually enjoyed listening to. One that sticks out, that was like a new discovery for me in the electronic. Well, yeah, I guess kind of down-tempo electronic space was uh, this group called The Lastlings, L-A-S-T-L-I-N-G-S. It's like a brother-sister duo. Okay. I think, you know, she kind of sings. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty sweet, they're pretty pretty good group. Um, nice. So their most recent album is Perfect World. It came out in 2023. But yeah, I listened to that quite a few times over the past few months. Um, it's just sort of like good music to chill and work to. They've got a, another album that came out in like 2020. Okay. That's awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. What about you? I just looked at, so I, I, I split between iTunes and Spotify. So I've, I don't know if this is the best way to look, but I noticed two, three albums actually that I've, that came out recently, starting from the earliest 
Harry Styles. I've never listened to him before. I don't know anything about him. But uh, my fiance Imani was like, "You, this Harry's House album that he just came out with, I think you would really like the vibe of this. I freaking yeah. love this album, man. Like, yeah. I play it when I like I'm cleaning. I dance around it. I'm like, okay. I like some pop, I guess. So I'm glad to hear yeah. you, you've heard of him. I I know he's a he's famous. I think, is he an actor too? Was he in that one movie that's set in the, the 60s recently? I'm not Styles. sure. IMDb. Let me check real quick. Because if so, I really liked him as an actor too. Um, sorry. Don't worry, darling. Um mm. I don't uh, it's one of those where like you don't know all the details at the beginning. So I don't know what I should say about the movie. It was a really fun mm-hmm. movie. I would definitely recommend mm-hmm. it to anybody. But he's the one of the two leads. He's the male lead. And then some famous woman is the, the female lead. It's a great movie. And I did not know or at least d- didn't really wasn't actively aware of the fact that this is a singer. You know, it wasn't one of those like, yeah, you mm-hmm. brought the rapper in kind of, you know, yeah. brought the, <laughs> the pop star in kind of vibes like it was, he did a really freaking good job. So anyway, Harry Styles. We love the Spider-Man soundtracks around this house. My son mm-hmm. plays out the Spider-Man and the Metro booming one. I don't think it was as good as the the first end of the Spider-Verse soundtrack, but it was still very good. And then Jamila Woods is a weird hippy dippy singer songwriter person i listen to and i um i don't know if i would say like i love like love it that everybody should listen to it but i've kind of been enjoying uh her water made us album that just came out uh i think at the end of last year or the beginning of this year so but harry harry's cool. house is definitely the the standout one where i would say worth a listen to anybody so nice sweet well taylor thanks for hanging out as always great conversations and uh i'll make sure that everything we talked about is in the show notes everybody including the cashier quick starts frank and php worldwide meetup make sure you go to meetup.laravel.com and you can actually type your name and email address to get a reminder for when the january 30th meetup comes up um and we'll also have uh the boot service provider tweet and my video about passwords php unit and you have thoughts about any of these things hit us up on twitter you know how to find us until next time though see y'all later see ya